0: It's clearly inappropriate law, it's biased law, only applies to certain portions of the community. They're a huge problem.
1: Dr Leua Iosefa, researcher, consultant, culture specialist.
0: Shame, um, honor, mana, those things are deeply cultural, and they do drive certain behavior. Developing tonight, the man
1: charged in the murder of his sister's best friend pleads guilty. We've been following the so-called honor killing since 2012. In fact, the UN has estimated that as many as 5,000 honor killings like this occur every year.
0: Cultural factors don't only operate to excuse offending or mitigate offending, it can aggravate offending.
1: What your hope is, I imagine, is that we are slowly moving towards a place where culture is better understood and integrated into New Zealand's criminal law. There is no definition of culture and how it should be applied in New Zealand law, which is a problem. Because to prove someone's guilty of a crime, you have to prove mens rea, the guilty mind. But what if the motivations behind someone's conduct are subjective cultural factors? What happens when behaviours that are perfectly normal in some cultures get criminalised? Let's cross-examine with Dr. Leua Iosefa. This is PhD Unpacked. Before we get into the research, can you tell us a little bit about, uh, I guess, your background and how you ended up writing this PhD specifically?
0: I was born in Samoa, uh, came to New Zealand when I was seven, so all my formal education is here in New Zealand. I did a law degree at uh, Canterbury University. So. Uh, My background is as a lawyer. I was a lawyer for uh, quite some time. I had always uh, imagined uh, uh, that one day I would do some postgraduate work, but uh, my my legal work kind of got in the way of all of that. The opportunity to do um, uh, some postgraduate work arose when... There wasn't much going on in Christchurch after the earthquakes. I went out to uh, uh, Canterbury University, did a paper just out of interest. It was a criminal Law paper. And a friend talked me into doing a uh, master's, focusing on things like uh, fair trial rights, the right to confrontation, um, defining genocide and then this friend of mine who was also uh, one of the academics and he, he was the Dean of the law school he talked me into doing a PhD. I kind of thought about it for a wee while wasn't quite too um, sure as to how to develop a thesis and, and and you know turn it into a PhD. That friend um, moved to Massey University through his job and uh, I was obliged to follow him, went up there and uh, we kind of developed a, a thesis, developed a the whole idea about um, what I, I could research and, uh, and it all just went from there. And here we are, and years, we years are. later
1: after yeah, yeah. after years of, of work.
0: Uh, I, uh, it was challenging but um, fun, it was, it, was, it was fun and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it.
1: And so what point in, I guess, that Masters into PhD journey, did you decide, decide that culture was going to be the sort of aspect of criminal law? That, you know, at what point did that kind of jump off the page and you it, thought that actually this this is the specific path I'm going to go down with this this doctorate? There was always a,
0: a concern in my practice uh, days uh, about about the whole issue of culture, there were things in the cases that I um, <coughs> that I ran uh, the uh, the responses by judges to cultural contentions, um, how other lawyers uh, perceived issues of culture. So it was kind of like a perhaps building up for quite some time. Um, the, the master's thing allowed me to develop the whole concern that I had about um, uh, these issues. They were issues within the criminal law that I thought just were, were needed uh, addressing, but no one else had uh, done anything about it. Uh, No, that perhaps isn't quite accurate. There were people who recognised there was bias in in the criminal law. There were issues about um, uh, representation on juries, um, minorities um, being judges, minorities being lawyers. So there were a lot of wider issues, but um, the Masters allowed me to kind of develop that. And um, so... long long history of concerns the masters allowed me to focus on certain areas and then the phd allowed me to expand on mm. it all
1: yeah so i guess to get our audience into the room you know people that have never studied a law degree people who who you know might not know about say new zealand's crimes act i guess something that we need to touch on before we dive into the research is the, the real fa- foundation of New Zealand criminal law, and I guess explaining that culture is not something that is defined in New Zealand statute of law, that within the 1961 Crimes Act and, and other legislation, culture as a concept, is not defined, and that is kind of what underpins this whole piece of work, right? This this uh, this piece of research of yours focusing on, on why we have to put more emphasis on culture and figuring out how to define it, fundamentally comes from a place that it is not defined within New Zealand law, correct?
0: A- absolutely. The whole thing about uh, culture is that I could ask a whole room of people what their perception was of or understanding of uh, what culture is. If I took a survey of uh, of their responses I can tell you that uh, everybody would have a different perspe- perspective on what culture means, what it represents to them, what other people's cultures are about. It's a concept that is difficult to understand, it's dynamic, it's eternally evolving. It, uh, one culture may, may become something else uh, in time. You might think that the academics have got it all sorted, but that's not the case. Back in 1952, a couple of very clever people thought, uh, looked into this and wondered how you could define culture. They went through, looked at what other academics were doing, and found that uh, one uh, academic discipline would define culture in one way; another would define it in another way; another would use different parameters to define. So it became becomes quite confused. We all have a general understanding of uh, of what culture is, but there's kind of you. It's a difficult concept to define. Mm. You might be able to define it for a particular purpose, um, but when you actually look at actually what culture is it's um, massive if we go back to the criminal law how judges the judges perceive culture every judge has a different um, perspective understanding of what culture is and it's largely because there's no definition mm. of culture in criminal law no guidelines um, well that's what i found in my research you could have um things like uh, Social media culture, um, office culture, um, army culture, culture of violence—all uh, of these things that these are mentioned by um, judges in their decisions. But guess what? All of those things have no bearing on the final decision because there, uh, there's no set rules about what. Um, culture is how we apply it uh, and, and how we understand it
1: and that's kind of the disconnect in New Zealand criminal law right because there is no set definition that all the you know judges for example are uh, referring to when when they are, are pondering these decisions uh, as you mentioned in your phd multiple times the inconsistencies that come out of it and the ad hoc nature of how culture culture is applied to different New Zealand criminal law cases as we'll unpack down down the road that is the nature of it because there is no definition it leads to inconsistencies and that is kind of the underlying problem
0: no, no definition no clear understanding no no um guidelines as to um, well what do you do with it mm. if you if you do have this understanding of what culture is um how, how are we going to do, how do we get the evidence about culture and in, and in, in, into a uh, trial mm. Too many, too many ifs. Yeah. Uh,
1: no answers. And I guess some people might think, well, what does culture have to do with criminal pr- proceedings? I guess that is, you know, potentially a fair question. But uh, an important, I guess, argument within your research is that culture being undefined is a problem because, as we'll get to, there can be instances where culture and cultural factors are important to consider within criminal trials. You, you mentioned culturally derived motives of a defendant is an element that has to be considered.
0: Everything you say there uh, uh, is, is absolutely correct. Uh, that's a good summary of it. I, there is an aspect of, of uh, uh, culture that uh, I want to clarify. The confusion about con- culture as a concept it's not limited to the criminal law. Mm. That's worldwide. It's universal in all kinds of fields: health, school, um, uh, medicine. It, it, there are confusions. Um, the reason why I focused on the criminal law is um, because it's something I have a little bit of knowledge about, mm-hmm. and um, and. Because of my research, I've kind of developed that knowledge and um, and that's how I've discovered that there are all these issues. It wasn't just the little things that I was initially concerned about that got me going, but I've now found that actually these are huge um, things that can, uh, huge confusions that can lead to inconsistencies and fairness and justices in the criminal law. No, I'm just doing my wee bit to kind of help resolve all of those issues, Mm.
1: yeah. And so when you make this sort of case, this contention in in your research about why we really need to think more in depth about how culture specifically is defined within the New Zealand criminal justice system, you point to kind of two different reasons why, specifically within New Zealand culture, more than ever, we, we need to consider what kind of culture means and what cultural factors are. And The first idea that you, you bring forward relates to this concept of super diversity, which was a concept, of, a word that I had never come across before. Of course, we talk about diversity a lot, but super diversity was something I'd never come across can you, I guess, explain that concept a little bit for us and how it relates to criminal law, specifically within this world of, in Aotearoa, New Zealand, why uh, figuring out what culture means is more important than ever as our kind of society and, and how public policy responds to society is continuing to evolve?
0: The The word superdiversity was developed by our researchers in Europe uh, not too long ago, um, and and it describes a concept whereby the diversity we have in our society is is supersized. Let's sorry, let's use that word. It, it's supersized just because of the. Um, and we're, now we're talking about numbers. We're talking about the large numbers of, of people that uh, move from one um, um, place in the world to another place in the world, and then um, uh, bringing bringing with them their culture. Now the whole thing, this the whole thing about super diversity, it, it affects how we um, how we run our schools. It affects how we provide medical services. It affects how um, um, decisions in our government, are made. everything is supersized, and and uh, our, our our society has to deal with it. In the criminal law, um, it, it it it's relevant because uh, then you have more people of um, from other cultures involved in the um, court system. You've got to. Um, allow for them. Just a, a very obvious example is uh, how does a, uh, <coughs> a woman, a Muslim woman uh, wearing a full uh, burqa, how is she to give evidence in, in, a, in a court of law, um, bearing in mind you can't see her face, and, and uh, um, one of the important parts of, um, of assessing somebody's credibility is being able to see th- their faces. You know, so the courts have to deal with that. You, you have people who, um, who go on to juries, they're um, presented with cultural information. So how do you, how do you, how do you present that to um, a, a juror who has l- limited knowledge of, of cultural things, interpreters, when somebody gets sent to prison and they are of a particular culture that um, our present prison system doesn't um, cater for, how are you going to um, deal with uh, the, providing them with food, um, uh, clothing, you know, all of these issues.
1: The, the argument, the contention that you bring about why we have to be more specific about culture within criminal law is that we have this super-diversity going on, and yet the other side of the coin is that New Zealand's law is founded in this euro christian centric model that is getting more i guess less and less appropriate to a one size fits all for the the diversity that is within new zealand and that i guess as the criminal law in new zealand was instituted now you know as we as super diversity continues to go on it's becoming more and more more I guess, like, disconnect is a word that comes to me in terms of if we have this Euro-Christian-centric foundation New Zealand law, which as you say in your research, does have some elements of, uh, like, for example, tikanga Māori in there. there. There's issues here with culture. If New Zealand is getting more and more diverse, but our law has has remained stagnant and, and how it is defining culture, is, is this other problem that we have to consider.
0: Yeah, a- absolutely. In a couple of the uh, chapters of my dissertation uh, I, I really had to look into what these issues were, what these cultural issues were, and um, uh, it just it just snowballed. There were, there, it, it was apparent that um, there were aspects of our legislation that discriminated against certain um, parts of our um, society, there's a Māori Development Act that has been on our books um, since 1962, but if you look closely at it, that really is just one of the worst pieces of um, legislation ever passed. It uh, allows a uh, to be charged if they are uh, drunk, disorderly in a um, in a hotel. Um, if you uh, think that they might be too drunk and uh, is about to drive away, you can take the keys off them. You can only charge a Māori with those offences. Now the weird thing about it is I don't know that anybody has ever been charged, any Māori has ever been charged under that particular act.
1: But it's uh, in the law.
0: But it's in the books since 1962. The other side to it is that um, why do we need those laws when we have other laws that cover, that apply to everybody, it's not specific to Māori but it covers everybody, um, why? You kind of you, you sort of look at that and you think oh
1: there's a problem and so i guess within this overall idea that culture needs to be more expressly recognized within new zealand criminal law the starting place is that there has to be some kind of definition that we've recognized does not exist within the new zealand criminal statute but in your phd you provide a definition for both culture and cultural factors, which I recognise is, is no easy feat to come up with a definition uh, f- for any word, let alone a word that is, is, can mean so many different things. But once you had worked through what uh, what culture was not going to be defined by in criminal law and you came up with your own definitions, how, how I guess, just, can you talk to me about that process? I had to
0: search for why. Why um, people um, behave in certain ways. Um, there are certain aspects of a culture that has little or no relevance to why people um, behave in certain ways. These factors are, for example, uh, what we eat doesn't really, um, how we dress, um, our language. Our, um, so there are there are a range of factors. What music we listen to. So. Uh, Yes, the music might make us dance and so forth, but to behave in a criminal way, not so much. Mm. So I narrowed it all down, um, and and worked out that uh, actually the what uh, what causes people to um, behave in a certain way emotions like shame, um, fear, um, anger, a protection of of a cultural of a cultural norm, you know. So so it, it became quite a narrow this all all came down culture was very closely linked to all of these factors and um, and from there i developed a definition
1: Mm, yeah and as you say in your research uh to quote the the focus of the definition was on cultural factors that impact a person's cognitive processes and therefore the rationale or motivations for allegedly criminal behavior once you you work through all the things that might be defined as culture or having impact on culture. That is specifically the area that, that when you put, sort of put your blinkers on, this is what we are trying to figure out within culture, and ultimately leads to the definition which I'll read out is, a shared system of clearly defined customs, ideas, values and norms of a viable ethnic or national group which are transmitted across a society and passed passed on intergenerate, intergenerationally that have induced the defender's conduct, and I think that's that's really fascinating work to to try and I guess analyze all the different things that culture could mean to someone. But for the process of criminal law and and the task that you are, you are you're sort of setting for yourself, and I guess the system is what elements of culture really matter to criminal law. Specifically,
0: absolutely. So it's important to know, um, uh, uh, well, to know that it's a a viable culture. It's not just a couple of mates um, deciding to do um, things in a particular way. It it has to be ongoing. We we recognise that it's evolving. um, It's passed on from generation. So it's it's uh, it's meaningful. It's Mm. it's the the culture and the cultural factors that are applied to it. Significant to a group of people. Um, I, I talk about whether um, whether ethnicity is an issue. and I, I, I've largely discounted that um, because like, because uh, you can come from a certain ethnicity, um, which are bound by certain cultural factors, and then it, it evolves into something else. You move to another place. You know that. It's important to recognise ethnicity, your nationality, but we're, we're talking... These are, these are things that are important within my definition, because if you, like I said before, if you go into um, trying to define culture, there are such a wide range of things. It's important also to know that um, uh, there are things that uh, aren't spoken about many cultures. We're, we're talking about ideas, norms, um, traditions, Values. So my definition really had to include those mm. things. I, phew, the vast range of those. but I've, I, So when I refer to um, customs, values, ideas, and norms, I've actually just narrowed that mm. vast range of um, <laughs> concepts into um, something that I think fits.
1: And that's the difficulty with, with this whole work surrounding cultures is you're never discounting that any element of, of cultures is, is less valuable or less worthy than anything else. Simply within the confines of criminal law, some things can be considered to be more relevant than others and within creating some kind of definition you have to have to refine it enough so that you're not saying anything cultural is culture, but not leaving it so so razor thin that you might discount something which should be within the definition. Which is why I say it's difficult to, to you, offer you, any kind of definition.
0: You know, um, my my particular struggles and in, um, in, in achieving this aim um, is really only a starting point, mm-hmm. I, I feel, because um, if I can get the conversation going about um, um, culture, somebody else might come up with a, a, a better definition, but I, it's a starting
1: point. Because mm. as your research shows, would uh, you call it the, the kind of cultural order. A great chunk of your research is is focused on showing ways that New Zealand criminal law has, uh, I guess, recognised culture and liability and culpability in a way that has been inconsistent. And through the sort of chapters five and chapter six of your PhD, you you present a number of different cases and and examples of of how the way that culture has, uh, up until now, kind of been interpreted in lots of different ways, which I think we should go into to sort of explain to the audience how. You know, it's one thing to say, here, here's a definition of culture that we could work from. It's another thing entirely to, to show exactly why we need that definition, because here are some examples of, of, of the ways in which, up until now, culture has been interpreted in lots of lots of different ways in court proceedings.
0: Yeah, I, as, as I've indicated earlier, the um, conclusion I've reached in my research is that it's ad hoc, leads to inconsistencies misunderstandings and, and it's all because there's no definition and there are no guidelines each judge um, faced with that uh, making a decision about certain um, cultural contentions is going to apply his own culture to it or his understanding of culture to it it may not accord with uh, what uh, another judge may may do it um, it may not accord with my definition I, I just I just feel that if there's a if there's a basis on which everybody can work from then uh, we can probably address uh, a lot of the issues that I've highlighted in chapters uh, five and six and it's not just that uh, the courts are having difficulty chapter six is all about how um, our lawmakers struggle to um, to deal with the issue of culture. There's a number of uh, pieces of uh, the Crimes Act and other legislation that I refer to where it's clearly inappropriate law, it's biased law, it uh, only applies to certain um, portions of the uh, community. There are, there are huge problems.
1: So I want to shift towards this idea of the criminalisation of culture-specific behaviour that people might not kind of have a specific reference point to to where culture and and criminalization might intertwine and from all the the many examples you provide in your research the one uh, i'd quite like to focus on is is multi-partner marriages which you spend quite a lot of time in the research both in chapter five and chapter six exploring and just as a bit of an, an introduction if this is something that people haven't thought about at all um, uh, multi-partner marriages or, or I guess the concept of polygamy is illegal in the UK much of Europe uh, Northern America but is something that is, is not so in lots of uh, African nations uh, Asian nations some parts of Europe um, but in New Zealand, the Marriage Act 1955 defines marriage as union of two people regardless of their sex, sexual orientation, gender identity. Now we know uh, the, the same-sex marriage uh, change in law has come about in more more recent years, but still within New Zealand law, multi-partner marriages cannot be performed in New Zealand to be considered unlawful. And this, I guess, within your research, you talk about how... This idea of multi-partner marriages being problematic comes from that kind of Euro-Christian cultural perspective, where monogamy was seen as sort of this modern way of life and an evolution of kind of the pre-civilization idea of, of of polygamy. And yet, there's this great argument within within both your research and other people's research that you know if, if we're moving to a space of time in the world where all that matters is voluntariness and the union of people based on mutual affections and and love. Why have why have we not moved to a place where multi partner marriages are made made legal? And this sort of ties into this concept of of specific cultural uh understandings or practices that people might not realize are illegal in New Zealand or might be treated more harshly just because the kind of Euro-Christian centric foundation of New Zealand's law system doesn't allow for it. I thought that the exploring multi-partner marriages within the research was a really interesting in to consider how culture uh, might actually manifest in a specific case. Now, as you say in the research, there I don't think there have been any any cases in New Zealand where this has kind of come to criminal law but it's important to consider that that if this kind of framework came to a head in, in a case at the moment where culture is, is is limited exist in this space
0: well let's just narrow it down we're talking about bigamy yes the, under the uh, Crimes Act bigamy is illegal mm-hmm. um, so it's part of our our, 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 our criminal code Um. As you've uh, uh, um, ably um, uh, described, it's 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 a cultural thing. In certain parts of the world, it's uh, it's uh, uh, totally accepted. Those types of relationships uh, work perfectly fine, in, in, in other countries, the bigamy has been. Um, uh, I, for, for the whole duration of New Zealand's life it's been illegal. It was introduced in 1893 brought over from um, um, English law. I, I talk about many many reasons why it shouldn't be a part of our law. Um, we've allowed pretty much every other form of um of union between people this just seems to be an, an anomaly you, you then query well why why has it lasted so long why is it still un, 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 unaccepted and i guess that's just one of those things that, that to carry over from our euro christian background. Researchers uh, all over the world, have some have argued that uh, multi-partner relationships are a positive thing, that uh, it's the basis of many communities. And then others who clearly come from the other side, um, um, say it's the um, root of all evils and Mm. blah 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 Mm. and um, their children, uh, well you know as educators as well. You you know um, I, I, I haven't got an answer mm. but 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 what it provides is a very good example of a cultural um, factor that uh, that perpetuates mm. in our law and I'm, I'm not sure why it continues to be yeah. criminalized
1: absolutely I mean this this is not a, a podcast for you and I to sit down and, and discuss <laughs> bigamy or polygamy yes, but, we can go but, all night. But, but it is it is an interesting end in to have people think about a practice that that um, It would be considered in many cultures to be perfectly normal, and as society continues to change, and as you've said, most other unions when it relates to marriage have been legalized in New Zealand, this is something that I was just having a conversation with a couple of friends before we we came here today, they didn't even realize that. That was illegal, and I thought, well, if, you know, we're moving to a space where we want New Zealand criminal law to be more accepting of people to kind of live their lives in a way that is, you know, free, albeit consensual and 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 formed in, in love and all that good stuff. Why is this this practice that in, in many many cultures parts of the world are considered completely normal it and acceptable? Works perfectly fine in other cultures. Exactly. Yes, exactly, but in New Zealand law at the moment is. As a, I, illegal don't until get me wrong. Gets, I'm yeah. not
0: advocating that in, you know we, we go down that route, but it's it's an anomaly in our yes. laws. There are, there are many other anomalies. Yeah, I, I, I think the,
1: the other example you provided, I think about the the Māori Community Development Act from 1962, was fascinating. That again, to to go over it again, there's this this part. Within, within law that outlines various minor offenses which are applicable only to Māori and designed to regulate the conduct of Māori within Māori communities that most people would have no idea is sitting there, has been sitting there since 1962 as this very, very strange way in that a specific part of our society culturally is is treated in a completely different way to others
0: James I'm not claiming any credit it, um, I'm not the only person, only researcher that has, um, <clears throat> has raised this issue, many other renowned, eminent um, uh, researchers in New Zealand have been making noises about this particular piece of legislation and uh, I'm not sure why um, No, I'm not it's uh, I'm, I'm sure there were certain motivations for creating that piece of legislation, um, but the mere fact that I don't recall in my research anybody being charged, <laughs> uh, especially when there are provisions of uh, the Summer Offences Act and the Crimes Act that deal with these um, um, uh, issues. Why? Why? Why is it on our books?
1: You, you speak to in chapters five and six the criminalisation of culture-specific behaviour, but then you also provide examples of uh, of ways in which culture has been used within criminal defences within New Zealand law cases. Again, to provide your your PhD audience an example of how culture has been applied in in different ways within cases, with there being no definition to sort of drive at how culture can be used. Um, a couple of the cases that I thought were really example that were really interesting examples that I'd, I'd like to bring up. Um, one was the, the case where uh, the prosecution within a case, Contended that a particular knife that was found in, in a defendant's vehicle was was paraphernalia for the application of illicit drugs, and the defendant argued that the knife was used for fishing purposes. And there was this great contention about, you know, could could the prosecution provide any evidence to suggest that the way that this particular item was being used was not for fishing purposes? And and I think within the appeal uh, that that. That charge was dropped because the way that uh, the culture was applied within that case, within defence, was was deemed strong enough to... Um,
0: the whole thing about um, that particular case was uh, the police, the prosecution, um, uh, were trying to present this particular knife as a, as a paraphernalia for um, uh, the use for drugs and, and so forth. It uh, conflicted with the um, evidence by the defendant that uh, it was simply a fishing knife. Now, not 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 altogether cultural, um, if if, uh, but it sets a very good uh, in for um, the the what I uh, I then carry on to talk about, and there are things like again, uh, we've kind of not really had too many cases on it, but there are things that. Uh, a cultural um, uh, uh, and provide uh, a reasonable mm. excuse for um, for your carrying a knife yeah and and, and that's that's where I I, I, I I go on and talk about how um, uh, people from the Sikh culture, they're required by their um, uh, religious beliefs to carry certain items on themselves. Um, one of those items is, uh, is, uh, is uh, well, they refer to it as something else, but it's, it's it it has the appearance of a knife. Under our criminal law, it's um, it's it's an offence to carry a, a knife in a public place. Now there, I'm talking about how culture. Provides an excuse because uh, 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 it's not dangerous if uh, if uh, the item that he's carrying on him is a, is is is, uh, is done so for religious purposes
1: and it's ceremonial it's
0: It's ceremonial and all of that we've had a couple of close calls where um where the new zealand courts nearly got involved in in a prosecution but i think the police pulled out there are plenty of examples over the seas though um, where um those that particular issue was raised in front of the courts and um one one case, uh, the, the the court didn't recognise it as cultural. Another another court recognised it as cultural. So, you know, if we get to the, that point here in New Zealand, let's hope that we can we can deal with that issue.
1: There was a a person in a case who was driving under the influence of alcohol, and the reason presented. Uh, for that was, was a cultural pressure to comply with the request of a relative to drive that person to church. And how that case was was addressed or assessed was inconsistent in that the sentencing judge discounted the, the cultural relevance of, of the pressure within that person's culture to, to get that person to church. But in the appeal, the circumstance of the case and the cultural relevance to it was deemed, uh, I guess, a special reason to reduce the uh, the the driving disqualification from that person from six months to three months, which I think is a great example of how one person, one judge, assessed the the case, the relevance of that cultural factor in determining how what the punishment for that that crime should be. And then another judge came along and and did accept the cultural factor. I thought that that was I just clear for me to think how two different people had viewed the same case but viewed the relevancy of culture within it in two different ways.
0: Excellent example, James. Absolutely. Now What we have there is an example of um, two judges, both recognising that culture was relevant to the offending, um, uh, but uh, um, uh, applied the uh, significance of the culture um, differently. Um, I, I'm, I'm not sure that the um, judge in the lower court had fully understood, and that may not necessarily be his fault, um, because uh, it, it kind of depends on um, the, the level of uh, cultural um, information, evidence that was put before him. Um, when I research things like that, I'm not privy to just what kind of evidence was presented, but uh, um, you're right. It presents a very good example. Um, The the judge in the lower court did accept that the cultural factor was uh, uh, relevant, but didn't quite give it the same significance as um, the the judge in the higher court. I think that ultimately, the right decision was reached. The the driver. Um, regardless of whatever her excuse was, had committed that particular offence. It then becomes a a, a, a question of uh, well, how serious is this? Um, how how closely attached was she to her cultural um, factor? Um, was uh, um, you know, it, it? It came down to the evidence. Um, uh, the judge in the lower court obviously heard the evidence. Of the judge in the um, upper court won't have, and, and would have, like me, gone on the basis of, uh, of the uh, notes from the, the court.
1: And these examples of, of cases where culture has been interpreted inconsistently kind of leads us into, the, uh, I guess, the sort of final section of your, your PhD, which having done this sort of cultural audit of New Zealand criminal law cases, you, you said about making the argument about the relevance of culture to criminality and culpability and ultimately you come to this sort of six-part framework to assess the, the potential relevance of culture within any kind of criminal law scenario, which, which we'll get to, to to close things out. But before that, I think it would be great to, to give you a moment to go through this sort of four-stage reasoning of the steps that you take to, to make the argument of why culture is undoubtedly r- relevant to, to culpability, which starts with the the first part, which is all about contending how uh, culture influences emotion, and that uh, criminal behaviour is 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 sometimes and can be con- constructed around uh, a variety of emotions. Can you explain that first step for us? I, I
0: talk about all those things um, like shame, um, honour, mana. Um, uh, uh, those uh, uh, Things are deeply cultural and they do drive certain behavior So we've reached that uh, point. That's the kind of like the second stage. So I'm looking at well um, uh, How does that affect the elements of crime? So we've got uh, the mental element uh, the intent um, the motivation the reasons why you you behave and the actual act itself culture uh, impacts uh, uh, very important elements of an offence, um, sometimes, you know, when they're relevant, um, they're, they're going to impact uh, your decision on making about whether um, the intent is there and uh, whether the act uh, has been completed.
1: And that's getting to the kind of end of that four-stage Uh, structure which is relating uh, uh, this is my words not yours and how I've tried to understand relating motive to culpability and when you're trying to ascertain how uh, someone uh, should be judged for something uh, you know alleged criminal behaviour if we're going sort of reverse engineering back to the kind of cultural factors that might have played a part, that might have determined how someone acted, and then relating that motive to liability or culpability. It's something that doesn't necessarily align with the the traditional way that law interprets motive. Is that correct? That, that, that there, are some, there are some arguments made within law, and again, I'm not a lawyer, never studied the law paper at university or anything, but trying to understand that that sometimes within law, um, motive is, is kind of thrown out the window, but an an argument that you are focusing on is we must consider how someone's cultural background, their cultural factors may have played a part within any given scenario proceedings and that must be taken into account when you might be judging someone and figuring out how to sentence them for some kind of crime that might have been committed. Yes, there's there's an
0: attitude, uh, a very Uh, ancient attitude and and, and, and law that motive shouldn't matter but there are instances when um, motivation your reasons your rationale for doing something that might be considered as criminal is relevant so I'm talking about those uh, things Already, the law requires the con- the consideration of motivation because it goes to your reasonableness. reasonableness. We've talked about uh, some examples of that proportionality, whether the offending was serious or not so serious or not serious at all. You know, um, uh, there are there are things like provocation. Uh, those are relevant. Mm. Um, they, they've always been a part of our. Sorry, I qualify that, provocation was a, a defence to murder, it no longer is, but um, uh, it's still a consideration in terms of a number of other um, offences, um, so we're, we're still required to talk about provocation because it's still relevant mm. in other parts, just not, for, not as a defence for murder. Um, uh, yeah, you, motive you can't dis- discount. I I, um, I, I I realize I talk a lot about uh, uh, about it and I try and discount the whole um, theory that it's a, yes it's a rubber in some uh, cases but there are very specific examples that I give mm. where motive motivation a person's rationale for acting in a particular way is is, is significant and is relevant
1: and that brings us to you to the the framework of relevance uh, within your PhD we you suggest as a framework that could be used to determine whether culture, uh, you know, is relevant, should play a part in, in culpability. Could you, in whatever brevity or detail feels appropriate, take us through those steps? Because ultimately this is where your research gets to. When you're, you're assessing how how culture might align with with a case, there's this sort of six steps that you you... You provide for for if we're gonna if we're gonna operate in a, a situation where we're assessing you know are there cultural factors that have played a part uh, within proceedings? How can we assess whether how relevant culture is within that situation? I think the first element that you speak to is is the culture valid, and is that the the idea that. Can the culture that is being referenced as a defence be seen to be...? Uh, well, it's, uh, it,
0: it, yes, I, I, I have talked about that. Yes, it has to be a valid culture. Um, it, 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 there has to be viability in the culture. Um, again, we go back to um, the wide variety, the multitude of cultures that are out there. Um, uh uh, judge in the court deciding a particular factor is going to want to know whether this is a a bona fide culture mm. or just a bunch of guys making up rules to suit themselves. Yeah. You, 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 yeah. you, so, yes, that is that is an important
1: element and, and that's you have to start from that. That's to, the, the, absolutely the start point. And then the next step that you move into is identifying a specific cultural factor within this valid, if we've determined, yes, there's a, a valid culture here, is there something specific within that culture, a factor that has played a part in, in the proceedings, something absolutely. specific that can be pointed to?
0: Absolutely. So, so um, it's all very well being a part of a cultural group and um, and uh, obeying the rules or uh, traditions norms of that uh, particular group, but you have to demonstrate that you have some connection with that culture. You've had uh, you've been brought up within that culture. The, you have an understanding of the cultural factors that are involved, and it has affected your behaviour. Now big world we live in, Um, I'll use myself as an example, Uh, I came here as a um, seven-year-old Samoan young man, Um, I'm I'm Samoan Tongan by um, ethnicity, Um, but I've lived most of my life in New Zealand. Now, you're going to be wondering, well, what connections does that guy have with his his, uh, Samoan culture? That's really what I'm trying to get, a judge is going to go, oh, okay, he is uh, a Maori person, has lived in his, uh, another example, a Maori person, he's, uh, he's lived in Auckland City all his life, had no connections with, uh, with his culture, why is he now claiming that uh, cultural factor is having impacted, so. There has to be that connection mm. throughout the, um, my dissertation. I talk about a thing called feinga and how it affects the behavior of uh, Pacific Islanders, Samuans, Tongans. Um, they are a well understood cultural factor. Everybody knows what it is, um, knows the expectations of it. It's, it's not written down, just everybody understands it. So if you're relying on a factor like that you gonna a judge who um, has little or no understanding of that particular fact is going to want um, an explanation of the
1: that. third aspect is the the connections with this asserted cultural factor. The fourth is has the cultural factor induced the defendant's behaviour. know, is is there a link that can be drawn between uh, the the alleged criminal act that has been uh, conducted? and the cultural factor that is kind of being claimed and that moves us into the last kind of steps of the framework which is is the cultural factor relevant to the the mens rea and is the cultural factor relevant to the defense you know it's all very well to, to point out that yes this culture is valid there's something specific within the culture that can be pointed to yes this person has a connection with that culture yes that that cultural factor might might have induced the behavior but is Still, is it relevant to the defense? and and this is this this whole point of we could we could have a definition of culture, we could provide a framework, but that doesn't necessarily mean that in every single situation, cultural factors would be seen as as uh, a mitigating factor, say. absolutely.
0: So, Perhaps a good example we've already talked about is the Hamilton case. If uh, if my um, framework had been applied in that particular case, we would have found out that uh, um, the 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 um, the culture was real, the um, the cultural factor was uh, significant where we would have uh, discovered that there was uh, some connection between the driver of the car and that, uh, and that culture and that cultural factor and she um, behaved on that occasion um, under those circumstances because of her compliance with that cultural um, obligation. Mm. Mm. One thing that needs to be remembered is that uh, cultural factors don't only operate to um, uh, excuse offending or um, um, uh, mitigate offending, it can aggravate offending. And I do give plenty of examples of that uh, when I talk about what media refer to as honor crimes. The, the, that's that's an example where perhaps the rationale or, or the reasons for committing a murder or, or um, can aggravate and offending,
1: mm. mm. and that brings us sort of back to the the start, the top of this this whole uh, this whole subject and the whole drive for this piece of research is is simply that because because there is no definition for culture within New Zealand criminal law, the way that judges are responding to cases within Aotearoa where there are cultural factors at play. And consistencies are simply going to arise because they're having to work within a system that doesn't does not define what culture is, does not define what cultural factors are applied in, and does not utilise uh, necessarily uh, a framework within how to work through it. And that's kind of appropriately brings me to this this one of the last questions, which was I guess thinking about how you're you know you publish your PhD, you've got the framework. How has your PhD been applied in the work that you've done since the PhD has been published? My
0: research, my doctoral research was uh, very specific. It covered a, a particular area of the criminal law. Um, I'm very proud of that. and um, But um, it actually raised a whole lot of questions about other things. Mm. Like I, I didn't have time to look into, well, how do you present evidence of um, culture? and? We we don't have any rules, no no framework, no guidelines about that. So yes, I've, that's an aspect of research that I'm, I'm, I'm looking into. Um, part of my uh, present work is that uh, I write uh, cultural reports for the court. Now that's under Section Twenty Seven of the Sentencing Act. How how Section Twenty Seven has developed. I'm, I'm relatively proud of that because we had a we had a previous version of that, and. Um, <laughs> There was hardly any uh, use of it. There was hardly, any, but it, like in, in the last few years, there's d- that's become quite a, a, a useful tool in in, in in sentencing. So I've become involved as one of the providers of those uh, reports. I thoroughly enjoy the research involved in that, and I'm not afraid to say or embarrassed to say that uh, in the back of my mind, when I'm preparing these reports, um, I'm I'm thinking about all the things that I've been preaching in this (laughs) dissertation and uh, I I would like to think that I'm trying to um, uh, develop a certain um, style and hoping, you know, in the hope that uh, more there's better appreciation of uh, the whole, um, all the questions about culture Mm. and uh, cultural factors.
1: And ultimately that we perhaps move forward to a world where where culture uh, is... I mean, I, I have absolutely no idea how these things get changed within, within New Zealand law. Again, not a law student, slowly. never touched a law have, <laughs> Slowly. But ultimately, what, what your hope is, I imagine, is that we are slowly moving towards a place where culture is better understood and integrated into New Zealand's criminal law systems.
0: Before there was kind of like, ah, uh, just culture. So now, now acknowledgement of culture is, is, is more meaningful. Um, some judges, um, not all of them, um, are starting to recognise uh, the significance of it, and uh, I'm, I'm nothing to do with me but I'm, I'm proud of those developments. I would like to think uh, what will happen from my PhD is that um, there's more discussion about it, more uh, research. I'm only talking about the criminal law here and a very small aspect of the criminal law. Um, culture uh, may hold um, other concerns, other issues for, um, for other areas, schools, um, hospitals the building of our roads i'm only concerned with the criminal law here because it's a big thing mm. you know the, the law
1: mm. yeah. well thank you so much for taking the time to to be a part of phd unpacked and and coming on to, to have a discussion about your your fantastic piece of research the significance of culture and cultural factors in new zealand criminal law thank you so much for being here thank you Thanks for watching this episode from Season 3 of PHD Unpacked. For previous episodes from this season and Seasons 1 and 2, check us out on Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as other listening platforms and follow us, PHD Unpacked, on Instagram and TikTok.